You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. episode of the show before the show podcast for the month of July here in 2021 as we uh, say hi and we welcome you in to the latest edition of the official podcast minor league baseball. My name is Tyler Mon, joined from New York City by Sam Dykstra and Benjamin Hill. Gents, how are you? Pretty good. I, I got worried there for a second when you said final episode. Final episode! Cutting out of here. If you would have said July's final episode, I would have. July's <laughs> final episode. I like time Breaking stamping all of our things. The rest of the podcast in your open. That would have been something. But no, well, and especially final one. Especially time stamping this episode because uh, we're recording this um, in the final days of July. And so the major league trade deadline coming up. So there's a whole lot for us to talk about with that. Um, but it's also like, you know, if you tune into this coming up next week and you're like, man, these guys didn't hear about, you know. I don't know, Babe Ruth coming back from the dead and getting traded to where like some massive trade news, um, then you'll know why. We will we'll timestamp it throughout and let you know where we are as we discuss uh, trades and transactions and all those kinds of things um, and, and get you into this week's episode of the show before the show. The official podcast of Minor League Baseball, where we will talk – all things uh, minor thing on minor league on field and uh, and business related as well. And we opened the show this week with our good pal Benjamin Hill, who is back from the road and is churning out all kinds of great stories from the road. Ben, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Tyler, I'm doing well. Um, yeah, I feel like I have some housekeeping uh, points of information here. Um, I am back from the road, but I'm going on the road again. Uh, Friday and Saturday, July 30th and 31st, I'm going to be visiting the Fredericksburg Nationals. Um, that ballpark never really seems like it got a name, probably because they're still waiting on a you know, finishing up a corporate naming rights deal. But we'll just call it Fred Nats Ballpark. But mm-hmm. it's it's new. It is one of the new facilities to debut this year, and I'm um, looking forward to doing spending two games there. And uh, also, you know, all this talk about final shows and whatnot. Uh, it occurred to me, you know, this is not my final show, but I am entering into a different period of uh, workflow starting next week. Uh, you know, I have a five-month-old son at home, and uh, there's some more generous uh, parental leave laws in the state of New York. And so I'll be working part-time uh, starting next week. And, you know, still plan to hit the road a little bit, still got plenty to write, but uh, I will only actually be in the office or working two days a week, which is just kind of crazy to me because I've never done such a thing before. So if there's a little less Ben's biz in your life, one, I guess be grateful, but two, I'll come back in 2022 full strength. But for now I have to be a dad. It's a pretty good thing to be. Um, and you get to do it after uh, your next trip around the road. We're going to visit your last trip on the road, and we're going to start in Tennessee where you got a chance to hang out with the Smokies uh, and tell a very cool story about an astronaut named Stephen Eason who has maybe uh, – did I just say an astronaut? An astronaut. He wasn't actually an astronaut, but the reason I said that is because he worked for NASA. (laughs) Put the cart before the horse and ruined this whole tease. Um, He is an usher. He's not an astronaut for the Tennessee Smokies, but he did help astronauts get into space. And now he's an usher at a minor league ballpark. And I like how um, you've got a line in the story that says, it just kind of goes to show that you never know who you might meet at a minor league game. How did you come about the story of Stephen Eason, who worked for, for NASA for decades and helped launch people into space? Yeah, well, as you guys know, and people who read my work know, I'm always poking around at the margins of minor league baseball for stories. And like you said, Tyler, a lot of it is the premise of you never know who you might meet at a minor league baseball game. So I'm always asking people, asking the team, asking fans, um, you know, asking people I'm interacting with on social media to, hey, I'm visiting this this team. Let me know uh, who to talk to, who might have an interesting story. And I was pointed toward Stephen Eason uh, with the little bullet point of he's a member of the U.S. Space Workers Hall of Honor. And I was like, well, I've never really met an usher at a minor league baseball game who was a U.S. space worker. And uh, I like to tell the stories, you know, that no one else is really telling or writing about in the in the baseball media landscape. So Stephen Eason, a self-described good old country boy from Arkansas, he was a machinist, blue-collar guy. And he went on a family vacation to the uh, Space Center, to uh, the Kennedy Space Center in 1981. 
And he loved it there. He told his wife, you know what? One day I'm going to work here. And so he's working as a machinist, spends five years trying to get a job at NASA, goes to school at night. You know, he pointed out it was obviously pre-internet. You know, he was tracking down magazines, uh, brochures, uh, phone books, anything that had information related to NASA, applying and contacting to anyone he could, spent a half decade trying to get his foot in the door at NASA just because he fell in love with it and finally got a job as a systems auditor uh, for NASA, worked 91 launches and um, ended up in the U.S. Space Workers Hall of Honor. And now he's a usher at a Tennessee Smokies game there in Kodak, Tennessee. So just one of those slice of life road trip stories, trying to give a little, uh, you know, a little biography on the, the people you meet. And so if you go to a game, Stephen Eason, you know, usher right there behind home plate, more or less. Uh, talk to him. He'll tell you about uh, 20 years working for NASA and uh, what it's like to work a launch. Uh, he has plenty of experience and I just thought he was a cool guy to talk to and, and unexpected. You know, um, I think we all stereotype to an extent or meet someone and kind of guess what their background is. And, you know, and, and Stephen points that out, you know, he's got a Southern accent and, you know, he was a blue collar guy and, you know, he's like, who would have thought it'd be me? And that's the thing. You just never know. And how much does he bring that up to people? Like, is there like something he wears? Is there a ring that comes with the Hall of Honor? Like, I, if I was in the U.S. Space Worker Hall of Honor, I wouldn't talk about anything else. <laughs> um, no, I don't think he talks about it that much. Uh, I think some people with the team uh, close to him who've you know been around him for the last four or five years know. And I got tipped off via that. But, uh, you know, when I asked to interview him, he was just kind of like, uh, uh, okay. You know, I don't think it's something he talks about much. Uh, pretty reserved personality. Um, you know, there was a couple other uh, people work for the Smokies around when I did the interview and, and one listened in and was like, oh, wow, I never knew all that. That's awesome. That's crazy. You know, uh, I like that kind of thing. Then you also got a chance to swing through Hickory and visit the home of the Crawdads where uh, you came upon a cheering slash heckling section led by uh, a guy named Chris Pack who goes by Mega Man uh, with his group of uh, minions. And that's what they call themselves. I'm not calling them that as a uh, an insulting thing. Um, tell us about this uh, Section 108 in Hickory. It's kind of a unique thing. Uh, there are some of these across minor league baseball, but you don't see them terribly often. This is a, It's always a very cool thing when you come across one of these yeah i love it this is a group of fans who love the hickory crawdads and therefore they don't like whoever's trying to beat the hickory crawdads and um yeah they, they do a lot of heckling mega man is a guy named christopher pack and his minions are a group, you know, it might vary in number from day to day, uh, a group that numbers about a dozen throughout the season. But of course, anyone is welcome to join them uh, in Section 108 behind home plate. And I love meeting people like this at ballparks and fans and, and groups of people who really create a lot of rituals and routines and chants and, and make the whole game kind of a party with, with all sorts of things going on. And, you know, a lot of the feedback I get on these stories is people saying like, I can't stand people like this. I didn't go to a game to hear somebody scream the whole time, that kind of thing. Mega Man is so-called it's not a, you know, eighties Nintendo video game reference or whatever. It's because he has a megaphone and it's not amplified. He used to have an amplified megaphone. Uh, but that they put the kibosh on that eventually. But he has a megaphone, so he's yelling through the megaphone all night. Has a variety of of signs that he held that he holds up appropriate to this situation. A lot of the other minions have signs. They have all these chants and routines. But the main thing they do, or the thing that's like the most easy to pick up on, is they really like when the opposing team strikes out. So I was there uh, when the Aberdeen Ironbirds were in town, and. Uh, so if strike one on an opposing player, they all start yelling, you know, the Ric Flair, like, woo! Then strike two, the Mortal Kombat, finish him. And then on top of that, they'll even do a group chant of whoever the batter is. In this case, I believe it was J.D. Mundy. You know, they'd all do in unison, it's time for how many steps with J.D. Mundy? That's because he has two strikes. And if he takes a third strike, he will have to walk back to the dugout as all players do after they strike out. And they literally count the steps of the, the opposing player as he walks back to the dugout. And not only that, uh, Mega Man 
through watching a lot of opposing players struck out, realized that the average number of steps a player takes is 21. So that's like a very college basketball thing after a guy fouls out. It's very similar to like a, a student section in college hoops. I like but that. It's a, it's a strikeout in modern baseball. Right. Exactly. So it happens all the time. Yeah. College basketball game. It's like, it'll happen maybe twice at most, but this is like, you're doing this 20 times a day. Yeah. These days there's a lot of strikeouts and they love each and every one of them, but they, you know, it might vary ballpark to ballpark, obviously how many steps it takes to get, get to the dugout. But, uh, and Hickory, uh, Mega Man determined it was 21 on average. So 21 is the set amount. You know, that's the, if you're going to bet on the over-under, it's over-under 21. And so he hands out cards uh, in the section, these little white rectangular cards with arrows up or, or arrows down, um, pointing down. And so when a player is two strikes, people hold up the sign with an arrow pointing up or down to indicate whether they think that player will be over or under 21 steps. So not only do they count the steps, but then it's like, ah, who had the over and who had the under? And then there's a whole, whole stuff, a lot of stuff going on with that. But it was a lot of energy. Talked, uh, interviewed Mega Man for a while, um, his longtime girlfriend as well, uh, hung out in the section, you know, really friendly people. I also talked to the, the GM of the team, Douglas Locatio, and, um, you know, I said, what do you think about these guys? Because, you know, they're a little polarizing. And he Basically, to paraphrase, said ultimately they're a force for good. They love the team. They bring energy to the ballpark. They understand what they can and can cannot do. But that's not to say they didn't have a lot of stories. A lot they, and a lot that I didn't use in the article about various run-ins with coaches and uh, players and and that kind of thing. But apparently, there's a code of conduct. If you sit in section 108 and you know you can't be crass and you know they keep it family friendly and you know. I, maybe it's a little different for me because I'm someone who just comes for a night or two and wants good stories. So I love stuff like this. Maybe if I was a season ticket holder, I'd be like, Oh guys, like every night, this is crazy. But the last thing I'll mention about Mega Man, and I, I just love this in the same way that you, you ask a, you know, a musician, any kind of artist, uh, any, anyone who does anything really, you know, who, who are your influences? Well, a heckler has his influences too. And he is a disciple of Toastman of the West Virginia power, a.k.a. Rod Blackstone, a man who is famous in minor league baseball circles uh, for being the preeminent heckler in the game. And it was on a road trip to see the Crawdads play against the power that Mega Man met Toast Man, and he tries to pick up as much as he can from Toast Man. And, of course, for those who don't know, uh, listening right now, Toast Man is Toast Man because when the power built their ballpark at this point over 20 years ago, they made sure to have an outlet in the front row in front of his seat because he brings a toaster to the every single game makes toast throughout the game and then when an opposing player strikes out they don't count the steps toast man takes a bunch of toast yells your toast to the guy who struck out and then throws the toast to the fans around him so that's some high level stuff and i just kind of love that energy in minor league baseball yeah, it sounds like we're building the minor league version of the Avengers. At, at a certain point, we've got Toast Man, we got Mega Man. I think we need like three or four other additions to that, and then we can really get uh, the minor league Avengers. But real quick, Ben, just preview for us your other story coming out about your trip to Kannapolis and specifically spending a little bit of time with the organist Greasy Keys, which is with two Zs, one in Greasy and one in Keys. Yeah, this is one of my favorite things I saw at a ballpark so far this season in my you know fairly limited travels thus far. But Kannapolis uh, Cannonballers, Atrium Health Ballpark, we've talked about them quite a bit. You know, it's a brand new ballpark, and one of the things they decide to do, especially when they you know they, the, this is a team that changed its name to the Cannonballers, it was tied into a sense of old time carnivalesque fun, and so the team was really brainstorming. You know, what are ways in which we can bring that aesthetic to life? And uh, the general manager Matt Millward said, you know what, we need organ music at the ballpark. So, you know, typical minor league fashion, they found one on Facebook Marketplace in Spartanburg, South Carolina, drove out there, bought it from a couple, an elderly couple, hadn't been played in decades, a Hammond M3, brought it to the ballpark, wired it through this brand new ballpark sound system, and hired a man named Jason Atkins, a.k.a. Greasy Keys, to be the ballpark organist. <laughs> Thank you. 
on the concourse. So it's such a cool element of the game day experience is not only to have organ music throughout, but to have the guy playing the organ right there on the concourse. And you can go up and make requests and, you know, leave a tip, throw a couple bucks in the bucket and uh, interact with him through the, throughout the night. And they really utilize him. It's not this like, oh, we have an organist and he just plays here and there. You know, he's doing little between batter, you know, riffs and vamps and between inning music. And they focus him before the game as he kind of rocks out for a minute or so. I mean, he's a big part of the ballpark entertainment. He's a guy who's been making a living in the Charlotte area as a musician for, you know, 20 years. And, you know, most crucially to his current gig with the Cannonballers, he has been, and he still is, uh, the organist for the Charlotte Checker, Charlotte Checkers, the uh, AHL hockey team that's nearby Kannapolis. So he already has a sports organist experience. Now he's doing it in the realm of baseball. And, you know, I feel like on this podcast a lot, you know, I see things and I'm like, more teams should do this. Well, here's another one. More teams should A, have a live organist and B, learn from the cannonballers and put it on the concourse and make it part of the entertainment. It was so much fun. And uh, yeah, I know there's the top 40 playlists and all the other music blaring throughout the night and walk up songs. And I'm not saying you don't do some of that, but I don't see what's, I don't see how it detracts from the experience to change it from what it is, which in my humble opinion is generally too loud. If I want to sound like an old man and uh, get some organ, organ music in there. And it was so cool to see that in Kannapolis really like what they're doing. Really cool to talk to greasy keys. So check out that story as well uh, for some pictures, audio clips, uh, videos, and um, you know, more background on how this all came about. All right, Ben, and we are headed to double uh, A for this week's conversation. There's a very unique giveaway that the Tulsa Drillers uh, are going to be handing out to their fans. Actually, as of tonight, we're recording this on July 29th. So by the time people hear this, uh, fans will be in possession of this giveaway. But give us a rundown of what's coming up with this interview next. Yeah, Tulsa Drillers. They had a bobblehead scheduled for 2020. That didn't happen, obviously. Then they had it scheduled for July 4th weekend, got rained out. And now finally... They are giving away this bobblehead, and that bobblehead is of legendary and still active rock and roll man. That's what they call them, right? Rock and roll man. Rock and roll man, Jack White, famously of the White Stripes and solo artist and third man records and all sorts of a huge baseball fan. So we're going to talk to Justin Gorski of the Tulsa Drillers about how this Jack White bobblehead came about. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Here on the Show Before the Show podcast, I am Ben Hill. I am always Ben Hill. And Sam and Tyler and I are joined by Justin Gorski, Vice President of Marketing for the Tulsa Drillers. And we're here to talk to Justin about a very special long-awaited, much-anticipated giveaway, which is actually taking place tonight, uh, uh, the, the night on which we are at least talking, maybe not when you hear this interview, but Thursday, tonight, Jack White bobblehead and uh, a lot of anticipation over this, uh, a lot of excitement. Justin, thanks for being here. I'm excited to see you guys and, and chat with you and uh, talk all things Jack White. Yeah, well, to start, a very basic question, a very broad and open-ended question, but just how did this all come about? The Tulsa Drillers giving away a Jack White bobblehead. Yeah, so back in 2018, Jack White actually played a concert here at One Oak Field. Our first big rock concert that we had out here, we had like 8,000 people, a huge stage, and Jack rocked out over here. Uh, he just blew it out of the water. And we built a pretty good relationship with Jack himself. You know, after the concert, he came through our office and we were all looking at pictures and he stopped in and like, hey, what are you guys looking at? And we're like, oh, we're checking out pictures from the concert. He's like, man, that is so cool. And he was just a really down to earth guy. Very cool. Loves baseball. Um, and then we started working with the local uh, Woody Guthrie Center, their local museum here in Tulsa to try to like, we threw this idea back and forth. Like, hey, we need to commemorate this concert. How can we do something like that? They have a great relationship with Jack and his crew over there. 
And they're like, well, let's start the conversations with him. Let's see if he's interested. He's a big baseball guy. He's part of a, he owns part of a, um, a baseball bat company called Warstick. So we're tying all these things back in together and seeing if we can pull something off with him. Awesome. And um, it's been a long time coming, this Jack White bobblehead. Um, originally scheduled for 2020, then originally scheduled for, and then, well, not then the second time. Uh, over July 4th weekend, and now you're finally doing it. Um, I imagine there's a lot of excitement, anticipation for this, a lot of outside interest uh, just from rock and roll fans around the country. Uh, what do you got planned for tonight in terms of distribution and getting it out there? How many, uh, what kind of crowds you're expecting, and uh, the ways in which people can actually obtain this bobble? Yeah, we're super excited. I was just looking back today before this uh, before this chat here. We've been working with Jack on this in September of 2019. Uh, so that's been a, been a long time coming, um, going through all the different renditions with him. He's been in the process the entire time of what he's wearing to the bat he's holding, to the guitar, to everything. Um, so we've been very excited. Unfortunately, he's not going to be in attendance tonight. He was supposed to be here for the original one. The second one, he was close, um, but he's actually in the studio recording right now. So unfortunately, he's not going to be in attendance this evening, but we got a lot of his, um, we've had him involved with quite a bit of it, which is going to be awesome. We're expecting big lines. You know, when we rained out a couple weeks ago when we were doing this, we had people lined up right around now, 12 noon, uh, when we're talking here for the day of the event, when gates open at six o'clock. We had people that drove from Detroit that were down here waiting in line that were a little disappointed to say the least that we got rained out. So I haven't looked outside yet today, but we're expecting big lines again and just a way to tie in rock and roll and baseball and get a new fan base to, to kind of see what we do out here is really, really exciting. And when you guys are going off a bobblehead that was supposed to be out for this long, like this is like we were saying before, this is the third time you guys have tried to get this out there. Uh, what do you guys do with all those bobbleheads? Like, where are they placed? How do you make sure that they're safe and, and not going to crack or break or anything? Yeah, we, we, got a, we got a big old storage room that we have a lot of bobbleheads, a lot of promotional items. All that stuff is in there. That's a tightly under lock and key. A lot of security cameras in there because these things are hot commodities. You know, Jack has had them for a little while. Rumor has it he was giving away some presents throughout the last year. So those are the only people who have them right now. Um, but we can't wait to get them out there into the public and finally get them out of our storage room after two years. Justin, what you talked about the design process and working with Jack in that regard, uh, as it comes to his outfit and the guitar and all of that kind of stuff, what are those conversations like? I mean, there is there symbolism involved? Like, oh, I want to use the guitar that I used when I played the show at the ballpark. Like, how did all of that work? Yeah, it definitely is. And that's exactly, Jack gave us kind of a, you know, we sent him the first kind of mud mold. He took a pic, we found a picture of him. He's like, yep, I like that picture from the concert. Um, and then we went, okay, hey, what do you want to be wearing? You know, what do you want to do? What's this look like? And he wanted to go with his solo career and kind of what he's doing there. Um, so it was, it was really cool. So he's got the blue drillers jersey on. Uh, he's wearing number three is his jersey there. He's got the light blue uh, Telecaster guitar that he specifically wanted there. Um, he's got a, the war stick bat that's actually in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, so, again, it all has symbolism when we're building this, and he was very, very involved in the entire process. From the standpoint of having a guy who um, – you know, obviously music fans are very into and uh, people who kind of know, um, you know, his body of work understand that he's a baseball fan and all of that for drillers fans who maybe don't know uh, Jack White so well, how do you kind of promote this particular giveaway in, um, you know, maybe they've been aware of the history of the fact that he played a show there and all of that, but how do you communicate it to people who may not be Jack White fans uh, who now get a chance to go tonight and get a, a bobblehead that's going to be kind of a hot commodity? Yeah, it, uh, it took some education. We definitely had to teach them who he was a little bit. And, hey, he is one of the top guitarists of all time, Grammy Award winner from the White Stripes, kind of his background a little bit. But the thing, the cool thing is, is he actually, he loves Tulsa. He's actually got a house here in Tulsa. He plays at Kane's Ballroom, the historic Kane's Ballroom, all the time around here. 
So a lot of people in the area know who he is um, and are big fans of him. So it was trying to, to merge our fan base and a fan base that may not know who he is or even just rock fans that know about Jack White and getting them to come out and experience Drillers baseball. And Justin, this is something I've witnessed at a minor league baseball game. When there's a bobblehead, especially one that is highly coveted, and like you mentioned earlier, fans line up very early, it's a far more intricate operation than I think a lot of people realize. Also chaotic because you have multiple entrances, you're trying to coordinate equal amounts, a steady flow of bobbleheads of the customers. You don't want one location to run out too early while there's still tons somewhere else. You're maybe shifting them around. People, and I've seen this and I know you have, working in minor league baseball can get very upset uh, when they don't get one. Um, I'm sure you're going to deal with all that tonight, but for people who you know don't work in minor league baseball and haven't seen it from that perspective, just tell me how you coordinate something like this. It's a lot of, uh, you know, I guess there's quite a few years that we've done it. So we've kind of gotten a little bit better at it. We have three entrances that we'll be doing the giveaway at tonight. Um, you know, one is really our main entrance and the other two are kind of ancillary entrances. Um, so we've kind of gotten good at, hey, we know we're going to need more at this entrance, a little less at the old Eric, a little less at uh, the Osage Casino Greenwood entrance. But it's a lot of communication back and forth. We have a lot of you know, when we're talking on a radio, there's a lot of hands at each at each gate. So we're like, hey, we're down to two boxes over here. Can you guys run a box over to the main entrance here? Or, hey, we got extra over here. Let's run this over there. We got longer lines over here. So a lot of communication back and forth. Um, we've gotten pretty good where we make the lines where as soon as you walk through, you're going to get the bobblehead and then you continue on where you're not just standing there. You're not trying to sneak back in to try to get another one. We always get those fans that are like, oh, I didn't get one. Well, yes, you did. We know you did. Uh, <laughs> so we're going we're gonna to keep you moving on and doing it that way too. So we've gotten pretty good at it throughout the years. And especially with ones that are this popular, there's always that possibility that it's going to pop up on eBay, essentially like right after first pitch. Absolutely. But what is your reaction as a club when you see that happen and, and bobbleheads that you guys gave out essentially for free? I mean, it's the price of a ticket, but still, it's essentially for free. All of a sudden, go for $50, $60, $100 or whatever online. It's wild. It really is. I mean, it, but it's so cool. You know, I think that kind of shows that what we've done is worthwhile and people are excited about it um, and they want to collect it all over. We've had a lot of people offer us a lot of money to send them to them. Um, but we want people to be here to enjoy the experience. So we know they're going to be out there. We know there's collectors and people are, are going to trade and be involved with that. So we know it's going to happen, um, but it's kind of cool to see it out there. Well, Justin Gorski of the Tulsa Drillers, Vice President of Marketing for the Tulsa Drillers, thanks so much for coming on the show before the show podcast. Best of luck tonight giving away those highly coveted Jack White bobbleheads. And it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you guys so much. Pleasure talking with you and uh, hope to chat with you guys soon. Big thanks to Justin Gorski from the Tulsa Drillers for joining us. Uh, we are now recording the evening portion of the podcast. So there are, I don't know, a couple thousand uh, Tulsa Drillers fans who are uh, going home happy at this very hour with their Jack White bobbleheads. Um, unfortunately, we are not among them. But anyone who wants to send us some Jack White bobbleheads, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it. How didn't we ask that question? Yeah. Like, been- how, do, how do we get our hands on these? 15 good minutes with, with Justin. Had a great conversation. Things went very well. He seemed very pleased to be on the show. I, I, I guess we're just stand-up people, Tyler. That's true. That's that is true. Down. That's what it comes down to. We're just good people who aren't requesting our free Jack White bobbleheads. Unless somebody out there was at the game and wants to send it. <laughs> A fan, perhaps. Yeah, you know. I Actually, when we got done today, I was thinking still no team out there has done like a salute to podcast night with the hosts of the show before the show from MILB.com, which is now in its seventh season. We know a lot of people around the industry listen to this show. How have you not done this yet? How has just nobody a, done this yet? A salute to podcast night. And like, right. because you can't get, you know, Mark exactly. Marin, you get us. Right, yeah. Exactly. You're not going to be bringing in Conan. You're not going to be, yeah, Marin's not out there coming to, Marin, I feel like probably, well, Conan definitely would go to a minor league baseball game, but you're probably not doing it. Uh, we're much more affordable. That's the point. 
Uh, so anybody who wants to do it, you know, bring us in. Salute to podcast night with the host of the show before the, just make it a salute to Ben's biz night and Sam and I will be his hangers on. That's fine. We could be the designated eaters for an evening. That's, that's how I like to be known Tyler as both yeah. affordable and a hanger on. Exactly. That's all I aspire to be in life. It's <laughs> great. So let's move into three strikes for this week's episode of the show before the show. Uh, as noted a moment ago, we are recording this uh, a few hours after we recorded our interview because we wanted to let things play out uh, as much as we could ahead of Friday's Major League trade deadline, and things have gotten insane. Uh, so we're going to kick off three strikes this week with what appears to be just a complete fire sale from the nation's capital, where the Washington Nationals are offloading everybody a team that won the world series not even two full calendar years ago is now traded away as it looks tonight max scherzer and trey turner to the los angeles dodgers kyle schwarber is gone we know that for sure he's off to the boston red sox um what this means for our purposes is that this is a complete rejuvenation of talent in the Washington national system. And that was a system that was relatively light on talent uh, coming into this season and into this trade deadline, uh, a team that, you know, as far as top 100 prospects has, has gone, uh, Cade Cavalli, a guy who we very much like, and we have had on the podcast before. Um, but outside of Cade Cavalli, not a lot of top end talent in that system. Jackson Rutledge is also a top 100 guy, but he's a ways away from the big leagues uh, in class a right now. Um, Sam, this is obviously a massive deal. We know the, the rumored pieces going to Washington and very likely by the time you're all listening to this, the deal will be completed and finalized and all this stuff will be official. Uh, but we're hearing Kiebert Ruiz, the top prospect uh, catching wise in baseball and in the Los Angeles Dodgers organization, uh, a guy who, for the last several years, it has felt like we've been waiting on to graduate uh, to the major league level, even though he's still only 23 years old. And he's been there, uh, but hasn't stuck. Ruiz, the top prospect from that system, now moving over to the national system. Uh, Josiah Gray, the number two prospect from the Dodger system, will now be that in the Washington national system. Uh, and the Nats making moves, sending Kyle Schwarber to Boston. This is just a complete reshaping of that team's minor league core. Um, and you're bringing in already guys who are going to slot very high uh, in your rankings your immediate reaction to this and what we're seeing from Washington yeah I mean full disclosure to everybody listening at home I am in charge of the Nationals top 30 list for MLB pipeline that's one of the systems I've taken over this year um, and I, in some ways I was excited to do it because I have some good connections with the Nationals and like you said Tyler like this is a team that uses it, its talent in many ways and, and it's used it to compete and, you know, trade away prospects in recent years to get major league ready pieces. And that's basically what they've used their farm system for the last couple of years. Um, and it, it seems to have kind of come to a head this year. The, the Nats, as of just a couple of weeks ago, were very much in, uh, in competitive territory in an NL East that seemed to open things of, not fallen their way by any means. So now they sit, you know, out of the playoff picture. And again, they, this was the worst farm system in baseball coming into the year for the reasons you pointed out, Tyler. And I will add, not only did they not really have that top talent, although Kate Cavalli has developed into that Jackson Rutledge is in the top 100. Now, by the time we do a re-rank move some draft picks in there, he'll be on the edges of it, but still a good pitcher in his own right. But it wasn't a deep system by any means. Like even, going past those two guys, it really fell off a cliff. And now you're starting to see them add these pieces, not just a Ruiz and a Gray, um, but also, you know, Gerardo Carrillo who, from this Dodger system. This is rumored as we're speaking of this, but it seems like it's all buttoned up, all that it needs to happen or the T's to be crossed and the I's to be dotted. Um, but even Donovan Casey, a, a former Boston College product in the Dodger system, he wasn't a ranked Dodgers prospect, but he instantly will move into the top 30 for the Nats because he has a good arm, he has good speed, he could turn into a hitter. We'll wait and see, but at least the other tools are there to make him at least a defensive replacement in the outfield at the major league level. And Carrillo probably is going to be a major league reliever, but still that's something that you can't say about a lot of Nats prospects right now. A lot of them, you have to really squint to see a major league future. Uh, Carrillo, you don't really have to do that. Casey, even if he slots in, in the top 25, he's got a better chance than, some in that system because he is already at double A. And like I said, he has legit plus tools in certain aspects. Um, Aldo Ramirez was a breakout prospect in the Red Sox system. 
before he moved from Boston to Washington. That has been confirmed, so we definitely know that's happening. Uh, I prefer Ramirez a little bit to Carrillo because he has better control. He's not as close to the majors, but again, this is the Nats picking up pieces, and this system just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper, and some of these prospects that you're really iffy about start to get pushed down further and further the depth chart. And by the time this is done, who knows? I mean, as we're speaking right now, apparently the Padres and Nats are working out a deal to send Daniel Hudson to San Diego and Mason Thompson, a pitching prospect, will go from San Diego uh, to Washington. He's going to make that system deeper. So this system is so much more exciting. I have to acknowledge, obviously, this comes at a very big price. You are selling legit major league pieces, players that have helped you win a World Series, players that were in an all-star game recently. Max Scherzer started the all-star game in Denver. For crying out loud, he has been perhaps an all-time great Nat uh, since he signed a deal with them all those years ago. Uh, this really hurts if, if you are a Nationals fan and you've come to love watching these players. I totally understand that. I'm not saying that building up the farm system is any team's end game, especially for the Nationals. They are willing to always invest in the Major League team. It it always felt like. Are they turning a corner on this? I think they realized help wasn't coming from the system at least immediately. Um, they needed to reinforce those ranks. And I think the one thing I can tell Nats fans right now, Kiba Ruiz is, is major league ready. I mean, he's been as hot as any hitter in minor league baseball in July. Josiah Gray, his last two appearances were for the major league club for the Dodgers. So both of those guys could easily slot in and you're not going to have to sit there and wonder how long it takes for this deal to pay off. You're going to see the fruits of that trade pretty quick. Um, and the good thing is those guys will be in the nation's capital for years to come. So it's going to take a while to, to get used to that. And also, you know, losing Turner Scherzer's a rental. So that's a little bit easier to swallow, but Turner, you're using, losing a year and a half of him. That's even diff more difficult. Um, but at least getting Ruiz and gray quickly into the major league scene, I think is going to help this issue. And looking at the end of the day at a much deeper system, I think is also going to help in time. Strike two this week, we are in that mode of uh, trying to figure out who is taking the steps toward addressing either minor league talent deficiencies or uh, what the next rebuild campaign is going to look like for their organization. So, Sam, who else right now is sticking out to you as teams who have started to reshape uh, their prospect groups and, and start building for their next window of contention? Yeah, I think we have to single out two here right now, and I, and I might be missing some, and Lord knows by the time you guys hear this, there may be more. Um, but I think the Minnesota Twins and the Chicago Cubs, at least so far, have been making moves to kind of turn that corner. Both have disappointed in, in 2021, obviously. Uh, the Cubs were thought to compete for the NL Central, the core of their World Series team, still very much there, and Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez and some other people, Wilson Contreras. So why couldn't they make it work this year? It, it just didn't, it didn't work this year. They waved the white flag. We've already seen Anthony Rizzo traded to the New York Yankees. Chris Bryant constantly in rumors. He's going to be moved. I'm sure of it by the deadline. Um, and we'll see what, what other pieces go in there. But you look at the Cubs system right now, it's, it's okay. It's not great. I mean, they do have a potential star in Brendan Davis. It is kind of unfortunate that, Braylon Marquez hasn't pitched much this year. Miguel Amaya is another top 100 prospect. I know Jim Callis is very big on Christian Hernandez, and Ed Howard was their first-round pick last year. So they have some pieces in place here. Um, but by adding El Kevin Alcantara and Alexander Vizcaino, those are two top 10 prospects now in the Cubs system. The top of that system looks different now after trading Anthony Rizzo, and you know it's going to look even better after they trade Chris Bryant. Same caveats apply here. If you're a Cubs fan, you've been growing up with those guys. You've been comfortable with them. If For Rizzo at first base, Bryant, third base, left field, even some center field, even some shortstop all over the place. Um, so it is unfortunate to lose those guys. But the Cubs system that I wouldn't – I would certainly wouldn't put in the top 10. Debatable if they were even in the top 15. Uh, certainly is going to improve here, and they're going to kind of, like you said, Tyler, kind of take the shape of the next contender. Uh, based on what these moves are that they make in the next couple of days. And then the Minnesota Twins, they've already made one trade uh, by sending Nelson Cruz to the Rays. They picked up Joe Ryan uh, as part of that kind of odd that he was traded while he's at the Olympics, but neither here nor there. And Drew Strotman, both guys, both at the AAA level, knocking on the door for the Rays. The Rays have a stable of arms. We've known that it was going to be difficult to crack that pitching core. 
for Joe Ryan and Drew Stoutman, that's going to be so much easier in Minnesota. And again, they could add to that even more should they move Jose Barrios and uh, potentially even Byron Buxton. I'm going to be keeping a close eye to see if they move Byron Buxton because I would hope they get a haul for him. One of my favorite players in the majors, even though he's injured a lot, I totally get it. But either of those guys could bring another farm system turning deal uh, if things come to completion. So those are the two I'm keeping my eye on right now. The way deals are flying right now, who knows what what's going to happen next, which system is going to be totally different uh, come the end of July 30th. But those are the two ones, along with the Washington Nationals, that I think could be changed the most uh, by the end of Friday. And strike three this week, we are moving away from the uh, craziness of trade deadline season, which is four o'clock Eastern time on Friday, by the way, that is the actual deadline four o'clock Eastern time on July 30th is moved up a day. Uh, so there would not be a, a deadline hitting in the middle of a weekend afternoon when there are day games going on, all that type of stuff, ordinarily July 31st, but of course today uh, being the 29th, it is tomorrow. A Friday this time around. I just made that as confusing an explanation as possible. Strike three this week. Sam was at the Appy League All-Star Game. The Appalachian League now, of course, a collegiate summer league uh, and not an affiliated league in the sense that it formerly was, where it was a short season uh, rookie level um, squ- uh, circuit. And uh, now things a little bit different in the Appy League, but uh, interesting in a lot of ways. Give us your impressions of uh, this is a, a broadcast that is going to be on MLB Network coming up on Saturday. The game has already been played, uh, but you got a chance to be there, be on the broadcast. And uh, there was an interesting end to the Appy League All-Star game. Tell us all about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I was looking forward to checking in on our friends at the Appy League and just seeing how this transition was going, obviously, from affiliated ball to a collegiate wood bat league. Um, by all indications, from what I've heard, it, it seems to be going fairly well. Like, the, people are still turning out. The attendance is growing in some places. And uh you know, some of the things we thought about of going and watching 18 and 19 year olds to watching 19, 20, 21 year olds. Uh, I think people haven't really noticed a, a difference on the field per se. So I think that certainly helps. But, but being there for the All-Star game is certainly a treat. Uh, the Happy League normally doesn't have an All-Star game. So I think that was something new, especially for the people of Pulaski. Um, I talked to Ben about it. Pulaski has renovated its park in recent years, Kelfi Park. There, it's a an historic place. It goes all the way back to the New Deal. So to see it renovated, to see it full of people celebrating the Happy League, celebrating the All Star Game, was a ton of fun. But as you mentioned, Tyler, that game ended six six. So we talked about it before game. What happens if it ends tied? Well, they were going to go to a home run derby. Now that six six score happened as a result of six homers. It was very much a modern game. It was so much fun to watch. So much of a blast. Uh, you know, to, to broadcast with Tim McMaster and Bo Porter, former Astros manager, and Alexa Dad on the sidelines. Um, but it, it was so much fun to watch. And then we got a home run derby at the end. So there are three batters for each side. Each of those batters got 10 swings. No outs, nothing, nothing like that. 10 swings to hit as many homers as you could. So the most homers you could hit was 10. First four batters of the entire thing all hit three homers. So we're tied 6-6 going into the last round between the East and the West. Uh, one player hits four, one player hits three West ends up winning 10 to nine. And that's how it was decided. I can't tell you how fun it was to watch that way. Like it's a meaningless exhibition game. I totally get it, but everybody was on the edge of their seat. Uh, literally the deciding swing, there was one swing left to potentially tie the all-star game home run derby and it went foul by inches and everybody, you could hear them like gasp of like, is it going to go fair? And we're just yelling from the booth. I'm not saying games should be decided this way. I'm not like, you know, I, I know everybody has their opinions on extra inning rules now with just a runner starting on second base. I can't imagine if we went to essentially the baseball version of a shootout, uh, but it was certainly exciting. I would like to see other all-star games take this on. I would like to see maybe even spring trainings take this on uh, the Arizona fall league, something like that. Just exhibition games that don't really matter much, but keep you enticed for extra innings. Um, it, it, it was so fun to watch. I hope you check it out on Saturday. We also have the stream online, uh, but it will be available on MLB Network this Saturday. So do check it out. See how that ended for yourself and, and just see the drama. It was so much fun to relive. Sounds like a pretty cool event. Yeah, it'll be on MLB Network on Saturday, and you can check out uh, the broadcast and Sam's work, of course, as an analyst and uh, and tune in to 
you know, it feels like after the deadline passes tomorrow or today, when you're listening to this, we're all going to need a day to just like lay around and watch MLB network and recover because it has been a long, long day and we're still uh, nearly 24 hours away from the deadline. Uh, I guess now we're like uh, 16, 17 hours away from the deadline, but uh, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a long Friday. Uh, And that'll do it for three strikes in this week's episode of the show before the show. We're back to wrap it up next. interrupt this podcast to bring you another thrilling edition of ghosts of the minors now here's your correspondent and host joshua jackson welcome back to ghosts of the minors in which all of you out there in radio land must identify the legitimate historical ball club hiding amidst the fraudulent pair. If you know the correct answer, you're a sharp one. The others, B flat. <laughs> in the last segment, I asked you which of the following minor league baseball teams did at one time exist. A, the Allagash North Stars. B, the Lodi Orions. C, the Jefferson County Geminis. The real team was B, the Orions of Lodi. As fans at Tiny Lawrence Park became starry-eyed for the 1972 season. Lodi, the California town made famous by an eponymous song from rock and roll musical group Creedence Clearwater Revival, had a Cal League franchise from 1966 until a series of shakeups begat the Rancho Cucamonga Quakes after moves elsewhere in the Golden State. But, identifying as the Orions in 72, Lodi boldly went where no team had gone before. Actually, one team had gone there before, and the Lodi Orions were owned by and took their name from that team. The Lotte Orions, previously known as the Tokyo Orions, in Japanese professional baseball. The Lotte Orions were owned by Nagayoshi Nakamura, who acquired the Lodi franchise from the California League itself after the parent club Padres walked away. Under Nakamura's ownership, the Lodi Orions strived to be stars of the Baltimore Orioles system, but they felt a sixth place with a 67-73 record. Not even the stellar batsmanship of Rob Andrews and Bob Baylor could get the Orions into orbit, as they failed to catch the Bakersfield Dodgers, were outclassed by the Modesto Reds, stung by the San Jose Bees, belittled by the Fresno Giants, and mocked by the Visalia Mets. Nakamura, having bought the Japanese Pacific League's Lions for 1973, renamed the Orions the Lodi Lions that year. Thus ended the hunt of the Orions, but the Lodi Lions roared their way to a Cal League title. Now, on to the question for next time. Which of these enchanting teams abracadabra their way through the miners of yore? A. The Minot Magicians. B. The Wachusett Warlocks. C. The Spokane Spellbinders. Want to know the answer? Try and pull it out of your hat. Or tune in next time to Ghosts of the Miners. But for now, you'll have to excuse me. My producer Ben Hill is learning to hula hoop, and he's tragically unhip. <laughs> Final segment of this week's episode, not the final segment of the show, not the final episode of the show. I know that I scared everybody with how I introed the show today, but don't worry. We'll be back next week. MILB.TV is your place to catch all of the top talent across the game of minor league baseball. Uh, there is a new uh, promotion, by the way, for MILB TV. I believe now $29.99 for the remainder of the season. You can watch the final uh, two months, really, of the of the minor league season if you get in now. Um, MILB.TV showcasing all the top talent across the game. Sam, what are you watching this week? Yeah, so I'm, I would say if I were a Nats fan and you were trying to find, like, where are all these guys going? Um, how can I see them best? We already talked about earlier in the show that I think that Gray and Ruiz will probably be in the majors pretty quick. So I won't recommend watching AAA Rochester just yet. But I will say, 
that Harrisburg is visiting Altoona. Those games are on MILB.TV this weekend uh, or look into next weekend to see you know where the Senators are going to play. I think that double-A level is where you're going to see most of these guys going, especially Gerardo Carrillo and uh, Donovan Casey, two of the guys, two of the other players involved in that Scherzer-Turner blockbuster. Scherzer-Turner is tough to say. I don't know. It's so much easier to see in my brain than it is to say it loud. Scherzer-Turner blockbuster. Uh, but yeah, Carrillo and Casey, uh, I expect both of those guys probably going to double-A Harrisburg. So if you are a Nats fan trying to see where this next wave of talent is going, tune in, try to watch the Senators as best you can this weekend. Uh, Tyler, what do you got your eye on? Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, at the West Coast where the Sacramento River Cats are playing host to the Reno Aces uh, this weekend in Sacramento. Um, the top prospect in the San Francisco Giants organization, uh, a guy who we have talked about for the last few seasons and uh, have seen grow through the the minor league ranks and uh, have eagerly anticipated his breakthrough um, to the major league level. He's now, he's no longer the number one prospect in that system, but now the number two, Joey Bart has been really, really good there. Uh, and he is at AAA with Elliot Ramos as well. Who's the number three prospect in that system. Marco Luciano, the shortstop is the top ranked prospect in that system, but um, it is a, a fun group in Sacramento and it kind of ties into the weekend. By the time you hear this episode, there's a chance. I don't know. Anybody has been moved. There were uh, tweets and suggestions earlier this week uh, that perhaps the Giants had been in discussion with uh, the Cubs potentially about Chris Bryant and his availability. Um, and Joey Bart was one of the names that had been thrown out there. So who knows where anybody is by the time Friday ends. But assuming these guys are all in the same spot, Joey Bart's been really, really good lately uh, for Sacramento. And you can catch him and the River Cats against the Aces at MILB.TV. So... That'll do it. Uh, everything will be outdated by the time this episode is up. But we, <laughs> but we uh, know that risk, and we run openly with it toward trade deadline day tomorrow, July 30th, the day that you are probably listening to this show uh, from MILB.com. So uh, until next week, when we break down all the other craziness that uh, comes along over the next 24 hours, he's Sam Dykstra, and I'm Tyler Vaughn, and we'll talk to you next